caring, faithful and friendly with stories to share. All through the forest they sing out in chorus, marching along as their song fills the air. Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 62. I am your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... David McBurney, family master, whatever. And now with us as always, forever. <laughs> and I'm glad that someone responded to what sounded like a threat with a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape. Ha ha ha, it's great. It's like... Yeah, you guys think I'm locked in here with you, but you're really locked in here with me. Oh. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Anybody has Gaiji Monogatari, Michael Baker, out of Japan. Ah, uh, yes. And it looks like some people did actually recommend you some uh, Vita games, responding to last week. Um, not sure... How many of these are actually good recommendations? Wow. Uh, you know, a couple of them are just flat out um, <laughs> recommendations against. It's true. I just appreciate that Wheels went right out of the gate slamming <laughs> everyone responding taste. Well, I mean, there's there's lots of good, great games on the Vita at this point, and I don't see very many of them this Wow. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> everyone's got favorites, and if there's one thing that PlayStation portable consoles are good for, it is providing ridiculously niche content that only like one percent of anyone actually enjoys. This is true, and that's why they're full of visual it. novels. I don't I think anyone. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, of course, I mean. Wheels, you do have to agree, probably agree that the uh, Trails games are going to be high up there on any recommendations list. Uh, it's true. It's definitely yeah. true. So Dave Scarp did manage to recommend pretty much an enti- the entire series. Seven games. Um, yeah. If and when I have the time and the money. <laughs> That's a lot of time. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's always these, always the East games, which take up much less time. True. Plus, I wouldn't have to try and read them. It's true. <laughs> it's very true. Like, um, In some cases, you'd be recommended not to try and read them as well. Is it, didn't we have? Didn't we have an interview with one of the translators for the Trails games on the site a couple years back, and he provided a bit of sample text. And I believe so. Yes. Yeah. And I just looked over it, and I was like, oh, damn, this looks like something out of a high school economics textbook. <laughs> and I commented on it in the thread, and it turns out it was a segment <laughs> of a in-universe high school economics textbook. Oh, my God. Yeah, Trails games love <laughs> that stuff. Words, I couldn't figure out were the, one, were the kinds of things where they had just made up a term, crammed a bunch of kanji together, and then assigned a pronunciation to it. Oh, so I love it. Yeah. I could not understand what that word was. Yeah. It's like orbic something or other. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's very much uh, technology pretty. overtaking cottage industry in some region. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very legend. Of, uh, trails in the sky. Yeah, has a lot of the, literature the, of that nature. The trail series yeah. takes world building to possibly an unhealthy degree. Although I really appreciate it, it's just uh, yeah, it's. I'm pretty glad crazy. that I'm not the one that's doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I'm uh, curious how how much the evolution games actually improve the experience. Because those are the ones that, like, for whatever reason, they've never even attempted to localize in any fashion. And I, I thus have very little idea what actually has been changed by them. Yeah. The other issue you might run into with uh, Trails on Vita is that Trails 1 and t- uh, Cold Steel 1 and 2 are on Vita, but 3 and the presumable 4 are not. I'm trying to remember which one I actually played the demo of at TGS years ago. Hmm. I don't remember. It's cool, but I don't remember what the name was. It's Trails. If it was in. Okay, it was in a school? No, it was a group of people who might have actually been military cadets invading. A, or infiltrating a military compound of some sort. That's got to be Cold Steel. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that's probably Cold Steel, and I was going to say, was it in 3D? Because that's also a big tell. Well, the second one I played in that series at a different TGS was in 3D, but the first one was more um, quasi-isometric 3D huh. JRP. Hmm. So. Let's see. I don't know. <sighs> Yeah, I think collectively, uh, Legend of Heroes 8 is going to be four different way too long RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we have recommended here? Girls in the Panzer. Seriously? I know that was my reputation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A left field recommendation. Yeah, no joke. Uh, for the sheer bizarreness of it. <laughs> Anime tie-in game is an action-based tank game. Hmm. Okay, I have played some genuinely not bad anime tie-in games. <laughs> the only one I can really call great was the, the Sergeant Frog, Tales of Frog game. That just has a great name. Tales of Frog. Uh, well, oh, no, that's, that's, that's a nickname. nickname I give it because... Oh, okay. the, the actual name is just Karorogunso RPG. Um, the made by Namco Tales Studio. It was made by Wolf Studio, yeah. Tales Studio. So I mean, it is it is the fourth DS Tales game. Really How many Gunpla ads are in it? Oh oh oh! This is the, <laughs> that's the fun part. That's the fun part. Um, your your defensive equipment are these. Little idols called guardians, mm-hmm. which are just yeah Gundam uh, plastic models. Of course, that that is one of the primary equipment I, um, types for the game. Yeah, that's loyalty to the license. We'll go with that. Loyalty <laughs> to the license. That and willingness to carry a joke far. Much, much farther than it really should. <laughs> uh, yeah, I respect if, this. If, if you want to just talk about really fun... Somebody had a lot of fun writing this because um, at various times, Sergeant Carraro will get into arguments over tropes. Oh, heavens. Game tropes. Um, oh. he will, they will have conversations about how oh, the dungeon probably works this way because, you know, that's how these things usually go. Of course. More than once, he gets into an argument with the narrator. Oh, heavens. So, like, in the Ninja Village, if you examine the well, and you, um, your character falls down the well, and then the narrate, narration box pops up and says, 
they were never heard from again. And then Kuro was like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm just out here. It's like, let me turn on the... <laughs> well, someone had fun. Somebody had a blast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. So, yeah, so I, um, after Jay Scarp's recommendation, I would con- possibly consider Girls into Panzer if I can find it for a decently low price. We should consider Gravity Rush as a game I can recommend from personal experience. I have seen that one in the store. I was kind of curious about it. It also had a really cool TV commercial, I remember. With this, Gravity uh, Rush. These two Japanese gals and their cats in an apartment, and then suddenly the entire apartment starts rotating. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the game. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's... And it's them just trying to figure out what the heck's going on, because apparently outside the main character from Gravity Rush is having a battle. And that it's making gravity rotate all the way around their apartment. And this is all being caught on one of the girls' smartphones. <laughs> that makes sense. So at the very end, when everything settles down, it's like, Where's the cat? Meow. Look up. Get him down. <laughs> yeah. The cat was stuck on the ceiling. Nice. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Gravity Rush, but it would also be still something I would recommend because a lot of people are and it's kind of it's got a good aesthetic. Mm. It's just kind of a jarring game to play because that gravity mechanic is uh yeah. It's was it you released on the P- on the Vita or was that a PS4 exclusive? PS4. Hmm. It's a cool little game. It's got like all the cutscenes are like kind of uh, comic book styled. That's always fun. And it's got it's just got a whole nice aesthetic to it. So, and it's also not that long either. So, you know, it's kind of a breezy little thing to go through. Do we got any other recommendations in here? Apparently, Budai has never touched Evita, so no such luck there. Yep. And Shaman, uh, I'm not sure if he actually wants you to play Ultra Despair Girls or not. I, I'm not entirely it clear. It sounded like he was saying don't. He's going to say that the words avoid like the plague um, makes me think he doesn't like it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've not uh I've not played that one because it looked bad. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh yeah, the speaking of Vita games that I don't think anyone expected to happen until they did was a sequel to weird PS1 game, Orishika. Oh yeah. I've always I've always meant to actually play the first one. Like um you know the studio that made those games, they I actually know where their office is here in Kumamoto. <laughs> oh nice. Yeah, it's over by Minami Station. Nice. Passed by a couple times. Um, yeah, I've, I've always been tempted to pick up the first one on PlayStation just because the the front cover has the most determined-looking badass baby you could imagine. <laughs> so, and I did play the demo for the second game at TGS years ago. It's so. an interesting idea. I've never gotten around to playing it, which is kind of sad because it was interesting that anyone localized it. I, I've just been I've just been really wishing that somebody would give Alpha System the green light to remake Linda Cubed for Vita. <laughs> do it, do it before just the Vita dies. 
I that would be completely insane, and they would have to include Scenario D, which was on the Sega Saturn version, but not the PlayStation version or the PC Engine version originally. So um, I would like to see what was in this fourth story. Oh, to see it to see if it answers any of the really weird questions from the third episode of it. Um, that does that game, got, that game got weird. That game got really weird. Yeah, I remember the last time you described it, and I'm still probably in some sense trying to process it. <laughs> that that game is also one. That game was also one of the exhibits given as to why we should put violence warning stickers on video games. <laughs> Just because some of the cutscenes were that really weird and bloody, violent. Um, I appreciate the the kind of path that games would take in terms of being ported in the early to mid '90s in Japan, where it's like, well, what has a CD add-on or runs on CDs? Okay, we'll put it on Turbo Graphics and then the PC Engine CD, and then from there it's like, if it's a, released at the very right time, it might get put on the 3DO, and then Saturn and PlayStation, then it stops. But no, each time they would make slight alterations to it. No, I mean, the PlayStation version was definitely an improvement. Um, I mean, massive graphical overhaul from the PC Engine version. Yeah. I mean, they I completely mean, redid the graphics. It doesn't look that much better, and it has this very strong play- Fantasy Star 2 vibe for hmm. the way everyone looks in town. Um, but it's definitely much, much better than the PC Engine version was. Yeah. But, like, I'm just thinking of things like Snatcher takes essentially that same route through Japanese consoles at the time. Yeah. Or even Police Knops. Uh, Blue Forest Story, um, Sword of Darkness, Wings of Alnum. How many others have I played that were originally Turbo Graphics? It, it was a big, a much bigger system in Japan, and also one that had a lot of, like, companies that didn't make games for other platforms that much, outside of, like, Japanese PCs, I think. Yeah, Falcom. Yeah, Falcom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like their their games got ported to varying degrees of fidelity to other systems, but certainly not to the degree that Hudson was working on with their ports. Yeah, Hudson actually localized the original Legend of Heroes for the Turbo CD. I need to try that sometime. <laughs> I think I tried it one time, and it was uh, probably bad, but I'm still very, interested. It was very say, bland. First five or six. Legend of Heroes games are, like, awful. <laughs> yeah. It was weird that, they, like, that games that they actually started being decent to good. It's weird that they survived long enough to become interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, we're talking j- the Japanese fandom here, and mm. Peace Engine it, it itself tended to attract a very strong sense of fandom, so... Just publishing on that would be enough to help keep the series alive long enough for them to learn what they were doing. Some of it might also have been just that, like, they, they worked a lot on, like, PC 88 and 98, so I'd imagine that some of it was just that there weren't as much of that kind of game on those platforms. I mean, again, you had you had the Alnum series, you had Legend of Heroes series, you had East, you had, oh, what am I thinking of? Um, Brain? What was that? This Y? Uh, no, I was thinking Tengai Makyo, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that reminds me. That on PC Engine, so. Actually, reminds... Tengai Makyo was the first video game to have animated cutscenes because it was one of the first CD form had RPGs. 
That that does remind me of like a really insane thing that actually happened concerning uh, PC Engine RPGs, which is that for some reason recently in the North American Virtual Console, the the Wii U North American Virtual Console got a release of Just Say Ken Necromancer without any sort of translation at all. And all of the screenshots <laughs> just carefully don't show any text. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. I have no idea what happened and why that happened. <laughs> That's something else. <laughs> uh, I think was there a, I feel like there was like a Jushin Liger RPG on PC Engine in Japan as well. Zoids. Huh? Like Zoids or oh, maybe? Uh, Jushin Liger is an old Kona guy manga. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like it was one of those things that like I'm trying racking my brain for weird PC Engine RPGs <laughs> and like that came up. Or maybe it was Susano. Yeah, it might be Susano that uh, the that got the PC Engine RPG. Uh, please, someone stop me before I keep looking for this. <laughs> okay, I'll read our first question then. Okay, okay no, yeah, there is one called Susano Densetsu. Yes, Susano. Okay. Okay, so but question, what's the first question? This is from Budai. Speaking of Nino Kuni, should RPGs get rid of forced stealth sections? We'll start with that, and then he's got some other okay, ones. First of all, yes. Define <laughs> forced stealth section. Um, because my first thought is like uh, Legend of Zelda Oracle of, Se- of Seasons, where you had one necessary section and one side section where you were basically playing hide and seek with the little guys in the hoods. Ooh. And I thought that was always quite fun, actually. I'm thinking of stuff like uh, from Legend of Zelda uh, Ocarina of Time. Uh, where you had oh. to like sneak around, sneak around, avoiding guards in Hyrule Castle, and I think that's... yeah, a lot of Zeldas have had that, but it's always been a really small um, section. Yeah, yeah, except for except for Wind Waker, that then that one does it for a fairly long segment near the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, let's see, which one was it? Um, Link Between Worlds had an entire section where it was basically a demonic military camp and you had to infiltrate. Oh, yeah. Oh, which one was... Uh, and Phantom Hourglass had basically the entire Temple of the Ocean King. Which, uh... Might have, might have been taking things a, a stretch too far. Yeah, I forgot that involved stealth, actually. <laughs> what, the Ocean King? Or yeah. The, yeah, because like you had the the phantom guards wandering around that yeah. if they caught you could kill you in one hit basically. So I think by I mean, f- uh, I mean I'm thinking of other stuff like um, Maple Story DS. What in one of the story routes you had to go through a haunted castle and the only way to avoid getting drained to death by the ghosts was to hop into pots because they couldn't see you. Oh, that actually sounds pretty fun. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, done right, this kind of thing can be just a nice little minor change of pace. Yeah. And as long as it doesn't wear out its welcome and or, I mean, conversely, if you make the entire game about it and the person, the player knows about it going in, then it's not as annoying. True. So I think he's mostly talking about things where it's the opposite, where it doesn't feel natural, it feels shoehorned in, and it doesn't really fit the overall experience at all, which I think does does seem to pop up in RPGs on occasion. But, you know, like we've said, there's lots where it's actually fun and um, it enhances the experience. So, you know, I don't really want to see developers stop trying to do cool things like that. Uh, some sometimes it's just not going to work. Actually, I'm I'm remembering another part of the Sergeant Frog RPG, one of the later dungeons, which was an unabashed parody of of Indiana Jones stuff. <laughs> and in order to get through the once the first section of the area, you had to tiptoe, which means you had to hold down the B button and walk as slowly as possible through the section. <laughs> Uh, normally your characters run, but as you ran, then you then the doors started squeaking and you got caught. That makes sense. Yep. Okay, um, but so are there any really stealth-oriented RPGs though? I mean, beyond just the like, hmm. Um. There is... It's not exactly stealth-oriented, but there's that uh, spy RPG from Obsidian. Alpha Al- Protocol. Alpha Protocol, yeah. That game's really hard if you're not playing stealthily. So. Yeah. Um, I know um, the Quest for Glory games, they, um, they often rewarded you pretty well if you were taking the Thief route and, and were sneaking around. Except for the fifth game which decided to make the newly implemented boss fights actually mandatory regardless of how stealthy you were being. Oh, I remember. <laughs> it's just like day, the most recent Deus Ex game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was one of many problems I had with Quest for Glory 5, is they decided to flip the, the equation from adventure RPG to RPG adventure, and then they yeah. tried too hard. Yeah. Yeah, and, also- I mean, it should have... I mean, on at least one of the missions, it should have been possible to sneak into that mercenary base and take out the leader. I mean, you could actually sneak into the leader's office mm-hmm. without anybody realizing. But what you actually had to do was you had to sneak around the battlements, take out every single one of the gu- of the guards around, and then the secondary boss battle would start. And as soon as you get rid of that thing the real boss would show up. (laughs) No matter what you were doing. That's great. That's exactly what you wanted. I mean, this is an example of really misapplied stealth, especially considering how well some of the previous games in the series did it. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, your your typical Quest for Glory type game, I mean, Heroines quested this too, but if you're playing a rogue, you can usually beat the game without actually fighting anything. (laughs) Or... Or possibly, yes, fighting some stuff that you can find other ways of getting rid of the final boss. Which is, you know, good. It rewards the player. Yeah. 
I mean, Quest for Glory 4, you beat the, the bad guy by telling him a joke. <laughs> that you were given, you were gifted with, like, an incredibly powerful setup joke that would make anyone laugh, so you had to use it on the, the evil vampire guy to force him to laugh for a brief second so you could shove a javelin through his chest. This does remind me that I need to actually play Quest for Glory. Yes, you do. <laughs> Yes. Can't you? Good aren't times. you supposed to? Aren't you supposed to drag characters from game to game? Like, doesn't yes, that, that, actually, you, you can transfer. Yeah, I was, I was just uh, gonna say, doesn't that make switching up the mechanics so broadly in five an even worse crime? Oh yes, especially <laughs> since the especially since the le- the stat cap for Quest for Glory Five was only a hundred points above what you could have gotten in Quest for Glory Four. Oh heavens! So. Well before you are at the end of the game, you've probably maxed out every stat possible. <laughs> so, good, good yeah. job, good work. And let us not mention how awfully they messed up the combat system. Oh boy. Well, or I'll the play the first four at least. Game. Yes, definitely. It could be worse. Play the first one in order to understand anything that's going on in the fifth one, because they keep bringing in so many cameo characters. <laughs> could be worse. Yeah. If you played the original on Mac OS, you did not get to see another Quest for Glory game until number five. <laughs> well then. Oops. Yeah. Inside Wheel's Broken Childhood. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, definitely um, get the go- um, the game um, good old games bundle. You can get yeah. like all five of them for like fifteen bucks or less. Let me look uh, at this right now. I mean, it's possible to get one through four um, through vaporware sites and stuff like that, but they are not optimized for current PCs. And they so are that ten dollars. Ten dollars, even better. Go for it. Yeah. Um, and. With the GOG games, you know you can at least know that they have been re-optimized to work better on the computer and to have less of a hassle transferring characters between games. Yeah. Um, Does that have like uh, the version of one with like upgraded graphics? I forget if it's called it like the VGA version. Yeah, Sierra. It has Sierra. Okay, excellent. I'm gonna have to pick that up yes. then. Yeah, I'll probably do that as well. <laughs> And also, also pick up Heroines Quest on Steam. It mm. is free on Steam, but it is an homage to the Quest for Glory games. Ooh. Neat. Very well done. Yeah. Which makes more sense when you look at the... Very uh, well done. So, the the name. Speaking as someone who, who used all five Quest for Glory games, and Heroines Quest, and Quest for Glory. So, yeah. The name Heroines Quest is also funnier when you remember that uh, Quest for Glory 1 was originally marketed as Heroes Quest before they got sued. No, what happened was that they accidentally let the trademark lapse and somebody popped it for a board game. Something like that. It was like they originally had Heroes Quest as their net title and somebody, and they didn't. Yeah, it's the Dragon I, Quest was the one that had a pre-existing game in America. Yeah, Heroes Quest. I'm pretty sure I played that board game. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's basically like designed to be simplified D and D. If it's the one I'm thinking of, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, uh, uh, do we... Oh damn it! it just, the search the search just brought up Quest for Glory. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia got what I was thinking about. All right, we're gonna take a short break now while we fix Skype. Alright, we're back, and our next question from Budai is, which game do you think has the worst case of villain only shows up right at the end? Best case or the worst case? The worst case. Hmm. I mean, are we trying to distinguish this from the space flea from nowhere syndrome? Uh, yeah, I think it has to be like particularly like egregious. I could I could I mean, see this being a separate concern if like the the villain themselves has no reason to have not shown up except that they just didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Spacefully generally implies that like what's there doesn't seem like it tracks from what happened before. Okay. Um. Okay, well, any given Metabots game will have the evil scientist guy turn out to actually be the bad guy behind whoever was seemed to be the villain. Evil scientist guy, why do you even keep coming back? Yeah, because, I mean, seriously, Metabots DS, Metabots 7, both of them had strong villain characters for most of the game, but they weren't the final villain. They were either duped or reprogrammed or something, but they weren't the final villain. And this guy, I mean, he's, I mean, he's like a cut-rate Dr. Wiley. You know, <laughs> that's, I admit that's what I was thinking of. You know that somehow he is going to be behind all of the problems, but it's not obvious that he even exists. <laughs> until literally right at the end. Which is why I was kind of annoyed that Metabots DS was not actually a two-part game that continued into 7. It ended up being 7 was a complete reboot. It would have been so much better if they just continued the story on from DS straight. Mm. But a villain that A villain, specifically a villain, who shows up only at the very end. Still feel Ganon. like Ganon. <laughs> Legend of Zelda, Ganon, yeah. Hmm. Be That's yeah, you're not yeah, you're not really totally wrong with that one. To be yeah. honest. Especially in the early games of the series. Yeah. Um I mean, there's definitely some where he's like omnipresent throughout, like Ocarina of Time. You're kind of dealing yeah. with him from the start, but yeah, there's games like uh, Zelda uh, One. Zelda One, yeah, 
uh, Twilight Princess where he's mentioned throughout, but he's not really... It's You're fighting other guys and whatnot until then. And Zelda 2, speaking yeah. of the older games. And... and um. Uh, if we want to go Final Fantasy, then uh, maybe the Emperor in Final Fantasy 2. Yeah. Cause, and he's mentioned a bunch, but you never actually see him until the very end. True. At which point, he you kill him and then he comes back it, empowered by an infernal contract and you have to kill him again. <laughs> he's the gift that just keeps on giving. No, that would be that would be um, what's his face from the first Garland slash Chaos from Final Fantasy One. Yeah, the guy that stuck himself into an infinite time loop to turn himself into a demon lord. <laughs> That's yeah. dedication right uh, there. Yeah. Okay, Ultimicia. Final yep. Fantasy Eight, Ultimicia. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I, mean, I can't she... really count Necron from Final Fantasy IX because he is definitely more of a space flea. Yeah. And Fujo is the villain straight up to the end. Um, what else? I mean, she sort of interferes throughout Final Fantasy VIII, but yeah, I mean, technically speaking, you can't actually have any sort of interaction with her until, like, the final until part of the game. Compression. Yeah. Time compression. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all it's all through Cat's Paws until then. Um <laughs> Uh, let me think. Mm. Most of the really good examples I can think of, you do definitely at least see the villain at some point before the final boss. Yeah. The battle. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I wonder if this kind of trope has even been overplayed a bit, because, yeah, there's a lot of cases where you don't see the boss at all, but they're kind of, like, omnipresent. There. Yeah, I think the most... Okay, uh, Wild Arms 3. Wild Arms 3. Enough. Wild Arms 3 has multiple sets of villains in an increasing level of threat level, or increasing threat level, but the final boss is this, like, um, trans-dimensional entity that looks like a little girl... And she drives the previous set of villains insane. Um, and what what you would think of as the really big endgame scenario of Wild Arms 3, except it keeps going after that. And there are hints that there's something going on. I mean, there's a few things that feel a little off. You find some journal entries here or there talking about her... And if you are really observant, you might actually see the character, the villain, villain's um, a model, a character model, standing around different towns in completely inaccessible locations. <laughs> but there is no real evidence that she exists as a force for evil until you um, until you mutually help each other take out the three wise men uh, villains. And the demon lord that they're supporting, <laughs> and then you have to make you have to uh, keep her from using one of the main characters' little brother to cause some sort of 
weird summoning flux and pulled the planet inside out, I think. I don't remember exactly how it was supposed to end. It, yeah. I mean, it was a really good plot twist throughout the game, but that um, she was out of left field completely. And if you knew that she existed by um, and restarted the game and were looking for clues to her existence, then they were there. But there, yeah. Um, if you were going in blind, you had no idea what was going on. Interesting. That's that. That's a game that's kind of been sitting in my black backlog for years. I need to get around to go for it. Too. Take a look at that. Um, I mean, I've only played the first three games of the series, but from what I've heard of four, five, and Crossfire, three may just be the pinnacle of the series. Nice. Well, it, they did uh, put it on PS4, so I can even play it there. Go for it. Go for it. Um, any other good ones with? Final Fantasy Nine. No, because Kuja is the villain all yeah. the way through. Yeah. Necron is basically like Kuja's personal death wish imprinted on the cosmos. Yeah. So I mean, he's definitely a space flea from nowhere, but he's not the final villain. Yeah, it doesn't. I guess Kuja's that doesn't really villain. count. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. People people like to and, point that one, but yeah, that's that's a good distinction. Yeah. I mean, and Budai specifically asked villain, which is why I'm having such a hard time here. Um, oh, um, oh, what, what's this? Zemus from Final Fantasy IV kind of works. Because you didn't actually know about him until the second to last big revelation before the final level. And you only saw him at the like in a cutscene before the final boss, yeah. When he before he turned into the final boss, cue another space flea from nowhere created from the dark heart of the bad guy. Um, <laughs> final Fantasy III's Cloud of Darkness, but she's more of a force of nature. Yeah. Um, let's see, Romancing Saga, Saruin. You hear about him lots. You fight his all of his um, his minions lots. You don't see him till the very end because he's sealed up in the final level. Um, same goes for the one who destroys in Romance and Saga Three. Um, the Seven Heroes. You see them all over the place. Uh, uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay, no, I can't really think of any others. Yeah, I think we hit the big ones, pretty much, and surprisingly, there really aren't that many that are really actually bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's just... It, I think this all just stems from Final Fantasy IV, which I think so many people grew up on, that it's become this idea that there's this whole trope of villain showing up right at the end when it's... Lot, lots yeah. more shades of gray for the gray for the most part. Yeah. And unless it's the Mega Man series or yeah. Mega Man, <laughs> Mega Man. <laughs> well, Mega Man is mostly how oh. Many oh it was... <laughs> how many times does it really have to be Doctor Wily? All the yeah. times. Yes. 
And even in Mega Man X, uh, it's it's like, oh, it's Sigma all the time, but it seems like, oh, maybe Sigma may, may have been like a virus created by Dr. Wily. <laughs> so is, it all goes no, back no, to the, the virus. The virus was created by Dr. Wily. Yeah. Oh, man, Mega Man cannon. <laughs> yes, and Zero was actually the prototype that Wily created. Ah, uh, yes. When he, he emerged onto the planet, he went crazy. Sigma managed to put him down and re- rehabilitate him. I mean, like, complete mind wipe. But Sigma himself got infected by the virus and eventually took over his system. I'd, and I'd like to spread it. Were you guys discussing the recent, like, bits of design doc that got leaked from that game? No, we were just talking about how it all, it always goes back to Wily, even in Mega Man X. I thought yeah. that, no, this was amazing, because, like, someone, like, one of the, someone had leaked, like, bits of design doc that someone then translated, and it was great, because it implied that the reason that Zero stopped being evil was that essentially the virus that Wily had made had, like, an evil underflow bug, and or overflow bug and just set him back to good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did not know that particular detail. Um, I like, they never that... said it in any of the games, but, like, that seems to be what was in the design talk. Wow. The main, the, the main reason I know this is because the, the premise of the Mega Man Zero series, starring him, was that he put he voluntarily put himself into suspended animation to have the last bits of the virus purged from his system. Yeah, I remember that. Zero's actually a really good game. Yeah, and but I think it was Zero Four, um, Mega Man Zero Four, that yeah. had Doctor Vile show oh, up. Oh yeah. Uh, I can't. I think that might have actually been Doctor Wily. There's a few situations like that because there's several points in Mega Man X where they imply this or that person is secretly Doctor Wily and then never follow up on it. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I mean, the guy actually looks a bit like Dr. Wily, but with his hair going up because he's actually a head in a, fl- in a jar of fluid. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, they tease that idea a lot. So, well, shall we continue to Budai's third question? Yes, because sure. this one is right up our alley. Do you feel Final Fantasy II was important in the grand scope of Final Fantasy's willingness to change and experiment? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, okay, so let's list the ways that Final Fantasy II actually introduced stuff to the series. First of all, it actually had a centralized plot. Yeah. Final Fantasy yeah. 1 and 3 did not. They had... And real characters. Yeah. It had a rotating cast of characters. It had the idea that characters did not have to be locked into specific classes and you could actually develop them one way or another. Uh, Did it swell? No. But it still introduced the idea. And also, it was the first Square game to have a general mana pool for spells. Yeah. Yeah. Like one, that, it has MP rather than the, like, Vantian casting. Yeah. Because 1 and 3 borrowed a little too closely from the dra- Dungeons and Dragons thing and it actually had tiered spell levels. So you I'm out of spell at- slots. Yes. Out of spell slots. Oh, no. So uh, it also it also does some interesting things for like the generalized series lore. It's the first one with a Sid. It's the first one with Chocobos, I think, and it's also yes. the was first it? one where the be all end all spell is Ultima. Wasn't there a Sid Even in one? Did not... <laughs> Say what? Wasn't there a Sid Ultimate in one? Did not work. 
There is not a Sidden one. Okay. No. I think Sid that some of the later remakes reference the idea that Sid made the first airship, but it's like just something so that there can be a technical Sid. Gotcha. Yeah. But what were you saying, Gaijin? It was like, yeah, it had Ultima, but Ultima didn't work in that game. I still love the reason why Ultima doesn't work properly in that game. It's like they set it to the wrong stat or something? No, no, it's much dumber than that. The guy <laughs> who programmed it in was, like, very adamant that, like, oh, well, Ultima was a really big deal at one point, but things have advanced since then, so, like, this thing that seemed incredibly powerful at the time was actually, you know, not that big of a deal now and like he refused to change it <laughs> but he was the only one who understood the code well enough to do anything about it so he got nerfed for philosophical reasons <laughs> yes like it is specifically because the programmer felt that philosophically it should not be the most powerful thing in the game that is that is the most like that's uh it's beautiful okay. that that is Oh, what was the name of the studio that did it? Second, what? Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, um, Square's second something or other studio. They were the ones that did Final Fantasy 2 and the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Second. I don't remember what their name is. But... Anyway, that, I, I have never heard a story that was more representative of that particular branch of Square than that just now. <laughs> yeah, like that is, that is a just hideously perfect like wow you're uh th- this is like the explanation for every cryptic thing that happens in any given game is it a bug no actually we did that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> well philosophical reasons yes um I, I do i do dearly love final fantasy 2 for being like an unsung precursor to a lot of things that would show up in later games Yep. Even uh, Final Fantasy IV's, like, addiction to, like, here's someone in the party, they're dead now, except this one had the guts to actually... No, they they are actually dead. (laughs) Yeah. I still love that the bonus content they added for the GBA version was, hmm, what if, and bear with me here, what if all of the dead people had to fight through hell? It's not a good scenario, but it's a really clever idea for a scenario. Good times. So many odd things. Yeah. Very soul of spirit of Kawazu's later games. I do wonder if uh, Final Fantasy II, which I assume was not like a colossal failure or anything like that, being weird and not failing kind of allowed the series to just continue to change and do weird things and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Like it certainly set into the set into them the idea that Final Fantasy wasn't really married to a gameplay type. Yeah. I think for like, a lot of people that's what that's what they love about the series. I mean, that's what kind of kept me coming to it because it was always, you know, as much as uh, fans, including me, would deride when things change, you know, it's it kept things fresh. One thing that I think uh, is helpful, actually, about that is that if you don't like a Final Fantasy, you don't have to think, 
oh well now the series isn't me for me anymore because the next one could look not look play and act nothing like it exactly and i think that that has helped its longevity because like you will find ones that are have more or less fans but you will never find ones that like oh the series was unrecoverable from this point because this decision was made had cast such a long shadow that it could never be escaped from yeah Yeah. Even 13, which I enjoy, but lots of people hated vehemently. Uh, certainly didn't stop Final Fantasy 14 from being an absurd success, or Final Fantasy 15 from being a success. So, Yeah, from having... from Not even, Final, just an in- not even Final Fantasy 14 could stop Final Fantasy 14 from being a... That's true. That's <laughs> so true. I love, I love, I do, I have to respect the degree to which Square just went, went back behind the scenes, shot everything, and then, like, started again from scratch. I mean, they canonically made the first version of the game's world end. Yeah, that was so cool. (laughs) In in a literal destruction of the planet sense. (laughs) All of your FF14 1.0 characters are dead. (laughs) But they let you actually live through it. Uh, I mean, or not live through it, but let the player see it happen. It wasn't just an, oh, we're going to delete everything. It was a, we are literally going to crack the planet open with a meteor, or however they did it. I think it was a meteor. Like Bahamut's arrival or something. Yeah. Because we understand that you really didn't like this version of the game, and we want to give you some sort of visceral... (laughs) of watching it die. <laughs> oh, so good. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest things for me was I actually got to meet the director of Final Fantasy XIV, and even though... 2.0? Or... 2.0, sorry. Final Fantasy XIV, <laughs> Realm Reborn. And even though I'm obviously not a big in MMOs or anything, it's just it's like, oh, this guy... Uh, I wish this guy can work on something other than this game, because... Uh, definitely seemed like someone that knew exactly what they were doing, and uh, I think they're past 10 million subscribers at this point. So, more power to them. With this, uh, the one that they usually bring up for Realm Reborn is Naoki, Naoki Yoshida. Was that who it was? Yeah. Because, like, I remember there was a recent article that went on like the PlayStation blog that was like, what are the favorite Final Fantasies of various people who've worked on Final Fantasy? And he had a pretty interesting ac- answer, actually. Do you remember what it was? Uh, it was 3 and 7. Not because they were necessarily his personal favorites, but because he had felt that they had had the most influence on the series going forward. Interesting. I s- 3 did give us the job class system in its er- original version. <laughs> Yeah, it also, it was just, like, I think, I feel like it was one of the most popular ones, just in terms of nostalgia in Japan, but I guess I can't speak for that. Maybe I'm just conflating it with Dragon Quest. (laughs) It was certainly an advanced NES game, like, I remember... Oh, it's a real late one, too, as far as... This is one of the first games I played on an emulator, and was just shocked that it was actually an NES game. But, yeah. Yeah. It's it he had some interesting answers. My personal like, my personal like, no one expected a different answer from you, but I still kind of hoped you would give a different one. Was Motomu Toriyama? Because did he, he say, was one of like 
he was one of like two people that gave his own game. Did he say thirteen? He, F- he said thirteen, and the <sighs> reason that he gave, the reason that he gave was really the was really the icing on the cake because he said because you can because I can do anything as long as I'm playing as as lightning, the strongest heroine. <sighs> Uh, uh. Getting too high on your own supply there, Toriyama. Are we projecting a little too much? <laughs> I think so. Maybe it's tad. <laughs> it was it's it was an interesting article. There's some interesting like they didn't manage to get everyone, but they also got a lot of people that you wouldn't expect. They also bungled the screenshot and Respond, and someone who had listed Final Fantasy Tactics got a Tactics Advanced screenshot instead for some reason. <laughs> I like Tactics Advanced, but come on, you're the PlayStation blog. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> I saw a funny picture the other day. Was uh, it was uh, what does your favorite Final Fantasy say about you? Oh, I saw that one. What? Uh, well. So let's. You, you tell me your favorite Final do we Fantasy. Have to do this? Yes, are we, we do. Really doing? Oh, we are absolutely doing this. So you guys tell me your final favorite Final Fantasy, and I'll tell you what it says about you, Dave. Nostalgia compels me to say seven. That is the one that seven. has the most influence on me as a person. You have listened to hundreds of hours of lo-fi hip hop from SoundCloud artists. You Lies. Are, <laughs> you are a pessimist and can be gloomy, but you never give up hope for what you desire convention veteran uh, I've been to a few conventions I wouldn't call myself a veteran <laughs> um, um, yeah I really hate favorites questions um, but let's see what comes to mind is nine all right good choice. I just like nine for some reason I oh, agree it's it? a great one yeah let's see video games have left you feeling spiteful and embittered you feel out of place <laughs> in your life You've been writing an RPG on and off for years, but never let anyone see it. <laughs> if you have, you better let us see it. <laughs> well, no, because, um, I mean, I first of all, I don't know the first thing about programming, and I have a copy of RPG Maker, and I don't know how to use it. Um, <laughs> but, no, I mean, my last National Novel Writing Month project actually started off as an RPG concept. So as soon as I have it typed up, I'll just mail it to you and see what you think. Right. Um Whereas it started out as a stealth RPG concept, so... Um, an RPG about being stealthy, or stealthily an RPG concept? Um, an RPG about being stealthy because literally anything on the screen could be a monster in disguise trying to eat you. <laughs> oh man, just going for the old Dungeon man- dungeon Master's Guide trick of like, oh, everything's some sort of unique, horrible mimic. Mimics. <laughs> All the mimics. Oh, oh no, even better... The- at the start, um, by the original game concept, which the book no longer really resembles, but at the start of the game concept, the, your only way of really telling if something was a monster was by whacking it with a baseball bat. <laughs> and if there were any witnesses to this event, then you might get thrown into juvenile hall. That's actually really quite. That's a neat idea, actually. But uh, that does remind me of uh, the. First, like the only reason that I knew about last year's uh, Prey by Arcane Studios, which is kind of an RPG, it's FPS RPG, but was because I saw someone talking about it with the introduction "scientist killed by imposter coffee mug." 
<laughs> that game deserved way better than it got. It's actually really good. Uh, but I've been meaning to pick that up too. That is, that is an exact that is an exact reference to a situation that happens very early in the game. Wow. Again, game deserved better than it got. Yeah. If you got a PS4, it's super cheap at this point, like twenty dollars tops. Or Xbone. Yeah, Xbone probably PC as well. <laughs> I don't have either, so oh well. But yeah, like anyone that just anyone listening, interesting game deserved better than it got. Good job on that whole marketing things by not marketing anything, Bethesda. <sighs> Uh, so, fair is fair, so I have to read mine for Final Fantasy VI. Figured. Actually, I don't think you ever read mine for Final Fantasy IX. I did. No, no, that was the... Cynical. Cynic, sorry. Okay. Yeah. The, okay, sorry, brain fart. Go, go ahead. No worries. It says, you are a sentimental person, but try to hide it. You can be a bit of a snob, but you're aware, and your friends still like you. Scoffs at modern anime. I'm not sure if I believe that I still like you, but okay. <laughs> that, that doesn't really fit, considering I watch my favorite anime is Fairy Tale, which I assume would be considered modern. Anime. It's very an- modern. It just it still runs. <laughs> it's long lasting. Yeah, I think it's been around since the late 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's a few funny ones in here. Uh, for Final Fantasy Type-0, you had a hacked PSP, could read Japanese, and you wanted everyone to fucking know it. (laughs) 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 Yep. Uh, Yeah, I'm not a a fan of Type-0, personally. This is my yearly reminder that I think, I'm pretty sure I was the only one that imported it and said, guys, this game is fucking terrible. (laughs) It's not worth (laughs) pining over. It was super weird when I... (laughs) No one believed me. It was super weird when I finally played it, and all I could think was, like, this is the worst opening crawl to any game I've ever played. Like, they've spent ten minutes telling me about the history of a world that they never gave me any human reason to care about, and then they cut a Chocobo's head off. (laughs) Oh, God. If you want an example of the worst opening crawl ever... Yeah. Uh, Moon RPG Remix Adventure starts off with a deliberate parody of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first the first screen, it, the symbol, I mean, the letters are coming up pretty slowly, and it's one or two sentences. Then the next screen, you've got like two paragraphs. Then the third screen, it, it's literally larger than the screen. <laughs> the entire screen is covered in Japanese, going very very quickly, impossible to read. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's... The only way I could really describe Type Zero's opening was, like, if you were... If you had been forced to watch, like, Ken Burns' Civil War <laughs> in a universe where Earth didn't exist. <laughs> like... It is so full of proper nouns that it, like, treats as though they have portent without ever giving you a reason to, like... it. The first couple paragraphs are talking about four different kingdoms at war that you haven't seen or you know nothing about any of them. Like, guys, take some lessons from LucasArts. I mean, at least the Star Wars crawls 
made like, you more interested in what was going to happen next. Even yeah, like the prequel trilogy. Like the like the thing about like the opening crawl to Star Wars is that it starts by only ever really define. There are two factions. That's all you need to know, and it's immediately reinforced visually. Here's the two factions. But yeah. like, there's so much proper now nonsense in Type Zero's opening. Sorry, I've ranted about this before. I should stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I love I love hating on Type Zero. Screen. <laughs> like when I was looking at that list because I saw this list as well. The thing I could think of most was. You know, I could probably defend any picking anything on this list, maybe, except Type-0. I don't have it in me to defend saying Type-0 is your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tactics is also on that list, and it's basically like you moved on to frickin' Ogre Battle after this. Yes, Ogre <laughs> Battle and... Uh, Trails Games. Yes, and East. But there is there are a few other great ones on here I want to read. Uh, Lightning Returns, Final Fantasy thirteen. You are Toriyama. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not wrong. Yeah. Uh, here's one that really speaks to me. Um, Final Fantasy thirteen two. You found a copy of GameStop for fifteen dollars and had a wonderful time. To your absolute surprise, nobody believes you. <laughs> That's pretty much perfect. And perfectly described, you wheels, except that it's not your favorite, but still, same yeah. experience that you seem to have had. Yeah. Final Fantasy VIII, you don't let labels define you. You really get excited when people listen to you talk about the things you like, but don't do it very often because you're used to people not caring. <laughs> Final Fantasy XII, this one I don't really get. It says, you never really liked JRPGs growing up, except maybe Vagrant Story or Valkyrie Profile. Come to think of it, you don't like modern JRPGs much. Either Huge Into Souls or Monster Hunter has written literal essays on world building. Yeah, it's very much... Uh, they're arguing seemingly in favor of like the game's obs- like interest and to some degree obsession with Ivalice as a, as a place in preference to being a more directly character-driven narrative. Mm, I see. I'm not sure that I agree, but it does seem like that's because, like you know, Vagrant Story is the only Final Fantasy spinoff without the word Final Fantasy anywhere in its title. Yeah. <laughs> it's just easier to work out when you realize that, like, according to what I've been able to track down about Matsuno's own statements, it's basically, oh, I didn't actually mean it for it to literally be in the same place as Final Fantasy Tactics. It was just like what I was using as the name of worlds that I make. <laughs> Alright, we'll do one last one. Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. You're full of shit, but are probably thinking of listening <laughs> to the soundtrack on YouTube right now. You go listen to that soundtrack right now and you take that back, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that game. It had some pretty good tracks for the, the soundtrack, oddly enough, but... No, it's a great soundtrack. Yeah. Like, I think if you go into Mystic Quest with the right mindset, that, like, oh, this is a breezy beginner RPG, it's pretty good at that. Yeah, it's a fun little game. My little brother managed to beat it in a day and a half when he was eight? Nine? Maybe seven? I don't remember how old he was, but he was pretty young. Yeah. I think my brother and I finished it all the times my parents rented it when we asked for Final Fantasy (laughs) 2. You were disappointed that it wasn't Final Fantasy II, but you weren't going to not play it. Oh, hell no. Of course they're going to play it. (laughs) 
but yeah, no, Mystic Quest, like, I think that time has been good to Mystic Quest in the sense that it's much easier to appreciate what it was doing now that it's yeah. not hard to get other Final Fantasy games. Yeah. Alright, any other ones I should read, or should we move on to questions? Questions. Okay. So, our next question is from Victor. Well, this is more commentary than a question. He says, Speaking as a gamer who hates roguelikes, Time Stalkers was a roguelike that was so much fun I didn't realize it was a roguelike until I finished it. Time Stalkers isn't as brutally hard as most roguelikes. Uh, I'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that point later. Um, uh, There's no permadeath. Characters... Keep equipped items even if there's a party wipe, and it's possible to level up titles for each party member and an Im- improvement that remains permanent even though character levels are set to 1 every time they enter a dungeon. There's also more JRPG story than most roguelikes get. Time Stalkers just doesn't deserve all the hate it gets to this day. The worst thing I can say about it is that some bug in the game locked me out of recruiting a minor optional monster in spite of, a, of following a FAQ step-by-step. Landstalker, on the other hand, has an infuri- infuriating control screen, s- control s- system. Control scheme. Did I just say control <laughs> scream? You did. Um, <laughs> infuriating control system, where the D-pad does not simply move the character in the indicated direction. Instead, there is a more complicated input system to do something as basic as move in an action RPG with required platforming. Isometric games are weird, man. <laughs> yes, they yeah, are. I remember having more problems from the the isometric perspective, but not too much on the actual game control. And of course, I was playing this on emulation with a keyboard, so maybe it was mm. worse with a control pad. I think I played it on Virtual Console. I, I played it back in the day on Genesis, and I felt like the Genesis controller was perfect for this and controlled us fine, so... I mean, it was weird... And that could have say it wasn't it was perfect or anything, but it worked. So I I'm, look, uh, I'm looking at what like climax apparently is closed at this point, and I'm looking at what their ultimate uh, like what what their catalog ultimately looks like. And there's there's some strange things in here, but it does remind me that I need to one properly finish the complete madness that is Dark Savior at some you stage. D- you don't, two, I might, don't you don't need to so do weird, it. Weird, dude. <laughs> it don't, it's so weird, dude. <laughs> I love the idea that some, that they made multiple scenarios and like what path you're going to take through the game is determined by the first four minutes. <laughs> Which game was it, this? Dark Star, Dark, Dark Savior, Dark Savior no. for the Saturn. You mean the fighting game? Uh, no, not Dark Stalkers. Dang it! <laughs> I said that. You said uh, you said the right name. I said Dark Stalkers. Just wondering because. I think Dark Savior was actually a name of one of the Darkstalkers games. Oh, because uh, Vampire Savior in Japan. Thank you, Vampire Savior. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Dark Savior is a hideously ugly, super weird game. But one of my favorite things about it is just that, like, the very beginning of the game, like, you're, like, sailing on a boat, and, like, this monster gets loose and starts going towards, like, the ca- the captain's cabin. And how quickly you get there determines the rest of the game. 
Like if and you take more than if you take more than four minutes, the captain gets killed, and you spend the rest of the game chasing after the monster after you get to the island, and like, but you can prevent it, or like you can even get into a fight with it and get killed by it, and that produces a different path through the game. And I believe you can also kill it, and then there's like a completely different story that doesn't yeah, involve the monster at all. Yeah, you end up fighting a different, a completely unrelated story, and the game like, like implies that all of these are happening in parallel universes. I'm gonna have to look up this game now. Yeah, it's it's, it's something else. Hideously ugly and very not a good game, but I love how weird it is. I got it running in Saturn emulation once. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. it's something. That's that's about the best I can say about it. <laughs> it's something. It's strange enough that it demands to be known about, if not necessarily played. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, it's definitely not the ugliest game I've ever seen. Yeah, well, the Saturn has a lot of competition for really ugly 3D choices. And I mean, I'm talking about, like, I've seen much more hideous 3D on the PlayStation. True, true. Far more hideous. I At feel least like... your colors don't accidentally make it impossible to tell who is where with the background. Um, oh, man, are you thinking of a game in particular? Well, first one that comes to mind is Kamurai. I don't think I've seen Kamurai. Um, that's... Oh, dear. Um, it tried really hard, but... Uh, um, it had... It had Star Ocean-style combat, where the characters are running around and doing stuff, and you have to give them prompts and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it also worked off of a... Um, trust and like... Um, Axis... Um, AI thing. Yeah. That was hideously easy to downgrade or degrade and very <laughs> to upgrade. That's... We'll, call, we'll pretend that's good. And then in order to advance the plot in any given town, you usually had to literally jump through hoops where you had to speak... You could speak to every NPC in town, but you had to speak to one particular NPC first oh. and then find the next NPC to talk to. That worst kind of event flagging. Any time, anywhere between five and fifteen NPCs, <laughs> in a room where you could talk to all of them at the very beginning, but if you did not talk to them in the correct order, then you didn't go anywhere. Oh. So you might end up talking to everybody in the airship five times. Oh, that's or more to figure out who you were supposed to talk to for each step. That's Utterly hideous. Why would? Oh, yeah. Oh, this sounds real bad. No, I wanna. I'm gonna go back to not thinking about this. <laughs> My personal favorite, like, really ugly uh, Saturn game is probably uh, Rondo. Ronde, like, it's spelled R-O-N-D-E. I don't know. Ronde. Yeah, Ronde. Uh, that's, that's one of the Mega Ten games. Yeah, it's a, that was technically like a Majin Tensei spinoff, and it's. Yeah, that that was one of the unlabeled uh, Mega Ten that got really weird. Yeah, and like just that, seeing a battle in that was like destroyed my life. Is that the one where all, half the cast was actually reincarnated Incan? That might be it. They were trying, and the villain was trying to relive a cycle of sacrifice in order to bring doom to the world, or something like that. That might be it. Mega Ten games get real crazy with their plots at that point. At that point. 
<laughs> like even more so in some of those ones because like i mean persona 2 also has like one of the most bonkers plots in the series it's like if it's a rumor then it can be made true yeah and if yes. the rumor is that hitler is rising from the dead as a brain in a jar with an army of zombies uh, nazis that's gonna yeah. come true Yep. Oh, man. I love how crazy Persona 2 is. <laughs> I still love that they, like, brought back Hitler. Like, they had, they kept Hitler in in the PSP version, but they didn't want to say he was Hitler, so they just called him the Fuhrer, and they put him in sunglasses. <laughs> they should have named him Adenoid Hinkle or something. Uh, oh, man. Should have named him Master D. Just Capcom's not going to stop you. <laughs> I want that to be the public domain Hitler. That's important to me. Important to me, actually. Yep. <sighs> uh, so, has anyone actually played Time Stalkers? I have um, not, but he kind of sold me on at least trying it. Yeah. <laughs> Which system is it for? Dreamcast. Dreamcast. Oh, that would be why I never played it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dreamcast isn't a system I associate with RPGs. Like, in Japan, it had Sakura Tyson 3 and 4, and in North America, like, they at least localized Grandia 2 and Skies of Arcadia, which are both great, but... Otherwise, I don't really think of it as an RPG platform. Yeah. I guess Evolution was on it, if that's what you're into? No. <laughs> I'm not, but... No. I mean, there are games that I would have loved to have tried... But I was a college student on a budget, and I was lucky to get a PlayStation. Yeah. I and I, the only reason I played anything for Nintendo 64 is because one of my roommates had a Nintendo 64. So I have actually played all every RPG available for that system. You love Iden Chronicles, the first mage. <laughs> um, if it had not been a rental, I would have burned it. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that that game is very, very bad. Yeah. Uh, On the other hand, Paper Mario, excellent. Paper yes. Mario. The, uh, um, the Zelda games, fun. Um, Ogre Battle 64, I would really like to find a way of playing it again so I could actually beat it. Yeah, that that came out on Wii and maybe Wii U Virtual Console, it but did, otherwise... Yeah, Wii and Wii U. That's about it. No other way to play Person of Lordly Caliber. I'm trying to think. There's at least one other N64 RPG I can... Oh yeah, Quest 64. I hate that game. <laughs> I like the name of its Japanese Game Boy Color spinoff. Let me see if I can find that. Which again. one? Uh, it has a Game Boy Color spinoff for Quest 64 that in Japan had a pretty good name. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, uh, let's see. Elemental Tale, Jack's Great Adventure, Satan's Counterattack. It's a pretty good name. One of these days I'm going to just have to track that thing down just to review it for the site and, let it, and actually have the title up on the front page. Jack's Great Adventure, Satan's Counterattack can be on there. Mm-hmm. Or Satan Strikes Back as a possible re- different translation. Oh, yeah, because it's using Gyakushu, which... I can see why, like, you would use Counterattack, at least in part, just because, like, a lot of times when it's translated back into English, like, with Char's Counterattack, that's how they chose to do it, but... Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure that uh, the Empire Strikes Back uses that. Kind yeah, of I think I think Char's counterattack was actually supposed to be at least in part in reference to Empire Strikes Back. Uh, translation. But yeah, I think we just named literally every RPG on the N64. Oh yeah, there's a there's Shiran is also on the N64. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. But speaking of Sheeran and roguelikes, I, I take issue with this as brutally hard as roguelikes thing. I mean, true, there. it is one of those genres that can attract seriously hardcore fans, and thus occasionally you will have seriously hardcore games made for it. But you can say the same thing about the dungeon crawl genre. Yeah. So... Well, I mean, uh, we learned a lot from Wizardry. Dungeon Crawlers learned a lot from Wizardry 4. Yeah. But, um... I mean, personally, my favorite um, roguelike is still Crypt of the Necrodancer. Oh, that game's great. <laughs> That's a cool should pick one, up yeah. the Switch version of that. Just because it's hilarious. Um, yeah. And but But, yeah, the... So they generally get mislabeled as brutally hard, though, because yes, there's permadeath, yes, you lose your progress, but they're designed around that so that prog progress happens in a different way. And it seems like a lot of people try to approach them as like your typical RPG, where you're going to go in and you get stuff and you make progress, where that's not the point. So... Yeah. Part of this might also just be the fact that, like, it, it also depends how, like, there's a lot of ones that, like, there's a very varying degree about how information-reliant they are. Because, like, you'll get some that have a lot of items that, like, you can't tell what they do until you've used them, yeah. and that can do terrible things to you. Oh, no, there's definitely some, there def are definitely a good number that are actually brutally hard, but I think for the most part, uh, they're pretty fair. I guess the way I would put it is that they don't have to be hard. It right, is not a rule right. of the genre that they must be hard. Yes. They are not the dark souls of gen genres. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> are, are we going to get into the game of the decade uh, um, discussion, or ooh. can we save that next week? Ooh, ooh, oh, that's... Mm. Next week, because we we're probably are running short on time. Yeah, yeah, Let's let's save that. Yeah, so didn't we also want to ramble about something? Stuff while we still have time. Uh, I, yeah, we'll see if we if I even have time to ramble about um, said game. That thing. Said game <laughs> that I will be reviewing. Uh, so we, we have one more set of things from Budai here. Uh, and then we already went through those Vita recommendations. So he says, which games come to mind when you hear the phrase Tale of Two Halves, where the first half of the, of the game is wide, widely different than what comes next gameplay-wise or thematically. Uh, so, well, I can think of several Super Nintendo games that fall yeah. into this, like Final Fantasy VI. Yep. I was about to say FF6. Where, yeah. where if the map that came with the game didn't spoil it for you, um, <laughs> then the halfway point was a really big shock. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Continued kudos to Kefka for being 
the only villain with the balls to actually break the planet <laughs> halfway through the game. And then, say, and think, then uh, s- sit on a pile of garbage and laugh maniacally for the second half. Board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think uh, it's interesting because that there was a period where that uh, that idea of like dual, like dual worlds and like opening up another world map was like a big thing. It was like a trend in RPGs that lasts from like the late NES to the late Super NES and then kind of goes away. Yeah, I mean, Final Fantasy III had your starting area turn out to be a floating continent over the real world. Yeah, and Dragon Quest III does something similar. Where it has the fir- the world of the first two games inside the world of the Dragon Quest III. Yeah, yeah and then uh, uh, six also does that. Final uh, Fantasy V does it twice. Yeah, yeah, and then, <laughs> then slams a couple of them together. Yeah, right. it's like yeah, it's like, oh, first, okay, we've beaten the bad guy here. We need, um, so one of our characters is going to go back to his home world to fight him, bad guy there, and then we all decide to follow him. So we have the second world, and then after we beat the bad guy again, the first world and the second world merge into a third world. Yeah. It's great. Fun. And then, uh, of course, Link to the Past, which was a big one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was that was kind of a common. It's interesting to examine that because you don't think of it so much as a trend until you look back, and it's like, oh, yeah. this was really popular for about three, four years there, and then went away. But again, he he's talking about tale of two halves. Yeah. So it's not just that there's two areas of the game; it's that the first half of the game and the second half of the game are distinct in some way. Yeah, like, yeah. This was, this was not me saying that this yeah. was always the case. It was just me branching off of FF6 doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I can think. Uh, of... so aside, aside from Final Fantasy VI, the next one that comes to mind is actually Lufia too. Hmm. Because yeah. the first half of the game, you it leads up to you defeating the Sinistral Goddess um, in his tower, and hmm. it has all the makings of a final boss fight. And after it's beaten, the game, the plot of the game, literally takes one year off for the main character and his new girlfriend, because he kind of broke up with the first one, to um, get married, have a kid, and settle down, and then stuff starts happening again. And then if you had played Lufia 1, you know where this is going. <laughs> yes, because the hero of Lufia 1 is the descendant of the little kid who was born halfway through Lufia 2. And so they have this like intermission in the middle of the game specifically to allow for a lineage to be born because no because the hero doesn't survive the end of Lufia too. Um so <laughs> spoilers. Yeah, it's the twenty five years late. Okay. Yeah. It's been twenty five years and also the first game in the series already spoiled it. That's true. Yes. Well I have some more spoilers because I was thinking of kind of a different take on this game. This question inherently invites spoilers. It yes. requires you to discuss it's a true. game that goes nuts at some point. So I was thinking of some games that either like thematically switch or have major character changes and things like that, and one that comes to mind it, to me is uh, Tales of the Abyss. Mm. That one's split essentially into three-thirds, but yeah. Yeah, so it's... Sent- I got as far as falling into the underworld on that one, and then I just quit on it because... The main character's voice acting in Japanese reminded me far too much of the one incredibly annoying and slightly disturbed 
young preteen male that of my acquaintance in Japan, Ooh. and I just don't deal with it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's just Yuri Lowenthal in English. So. Yeah. The funny thing about that is he's supposed to be annoying, and and you know, the writer does it so well in Japanese. <laughs> well, I oh, mean, he's pretty good at being irritating in English too. Yeah. <laughs> but the funny thing is that he's a clone. Yes. Like he's a clone of uh, some other character that you actually meet in the game, and a lot about the game changes after you finally figure that out and realize, oh, that's why he's an insufferable, insufferable douche, because he's like he's, four years old. He's like a seven-year-old who has literally <laughs> never left the inside of his house. So, yeah, yeah that explains so, a lot. Maybe it doesn't do the best job of presenting that, but I, I think it's the, the game definitely takes on a different feel after you after you find that out and figure out some of the weird stuff that's going on in that world. I'd say, I'd say the real issue with Abyss's story is that once you understand that and you realize that a lot of the characters in the party actually knew that, it makes the point yeah. that, like, actually, all of these people are psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> so I can think of at least one game where I wish it had been a tale of two parts. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think I've already mentioned Tales of the Tempest, where I really think it could have done better with the second <laughs> half. It kind of needs one, yeah. Yeah, but also Contact. Oh, that game, that game's so yeah, weird. Because, uh, I mean, it ends with, um, you had this big fight with the terrorist organization that you think is out to try and ruin things, but it turns out that then this entire time you've been manipulated by the professor to get him the stuff that he needs. Mm. And so after being abandoned and literally poked to death by the player player versus protagonist. Um, the protagonist gets picked up by the former vil- um, the villain's or former antagonist's UFO and taken home. Huh. They have pity on him. And I'm thinking, we could have turned this into a fight against the professor. It's a very... Uh... We could have continued the story. We didn't. I want to say that game was developed by Grasshopper Manufacturer. Yep, yep. it was. That's yes, a very that was a very I don't think Suda directed it yeah he's it's just his company but it's one of those things where it's like that's a very their kind of postmodern sort of game so while I could see an interesting plot growing out of that I feel like it was probably at least somewhat a deliberate decision to be unsatisfying yes I'm sure still very strange strange game it was one of those things that, like, I remember seeing people, like, part of the, one of my favorite things about watching people uh, react to Contact when it first came out was people looking at it and saying, this looks kind of like Earthbound, I bet it's like that. Hmm. Whoops. Guys, maybe not the right expectations to set for yourself. <laughs> but, yeah, I'd... Grasshopper Manufacturers, uh confrontational sense of narrative design. Yes. That's the probably the most polite way of putting it. <laughs> I love it. Grasshopper, uh... I'm just looking at, like, their list of games, and I still need to play Michigan Report from Hell. Because, uh... That's a horror game where you're a cameraman who's concerned mostly with ratings, and so you have the option of, like, 
dramatically getting the newscaster killed in order to increase ratings. <laughs> okay. Burgundy and we have it Make it what? Ron Burgundy. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. I think at least one of them is a cartoonishly arrogant one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I I can understand how that would be an intensely off putting game. Just like by virtue of like Grasshopper does that a lot. Yeah. They certainly do. Let me tell you about how much I love the completely incomprehensible Killer7 and Flower, Sun, and Rain, even though I can't fully understand Flower, Sun, and Rain. <laughs> and not because it's not in English, because it's totally in English. <laughs> oh, man. Remember that time that... Okay, sorry, I need to stop because I'm just thinking, remember that time that they made... that Grasshopper made an Ava dancing game for the PSP. Yeah. Yes. So. Okay. So, Tale of Two Halves. Any other good ones? I I had one more good one, kind of in oh, the same I'm thinking, vein. I'm thinking Final Fantasy Legend Three. That's a good Just one. Just because you go from the time travel um, style to the alien world, and without time travel. Yeah. Uh, the other good one I had would be Xenoblade Chronicles, which is more of, I'd say, more of a tale of three quarters and the last quarter, but I think it does a really good job of building up there to the point where um, uh, you get to where you think is the end, and then all the little hints and things that you probably didn't notice as you were playing through the game, suddenly build into a lot of story things you didn't expect, and then it kind of makes that last portion of the game really cool, and uh, I was really impressed with how they put that all together, because the game really does a great job of throwing all kinds of little hints along the way. Uh, any other ones? Uh, not off the top of my head. Oh, in case any and oh, spoilers. Yes, uh, the whole thing in Xenoblade Chronicles is you were, you were on the bad guy all along, the bad Titan. Oh yeah, by honest with the yeah, dick. and the the machines attacking you, while not the best method to do so, they kind of had a good reason to. Probably. Probably. Who can judge? Who can judge the fight between man and mech? I can. Well. Final Arbiter. Alright, any other ones? Mm, not that I can think of. Alright, so uh, we're going to start wrapping things up then, I guess. Let me see, was there anything else? Before I start devolving into the Game of the Decade talk. Okay, well, <laughs> while 
of everyone's attention. First, I would like to again plug my novel uh, series, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, uh, available on Amazon in on Kindle format and paperback. Okay, now we want to hear what Wheels has to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not actually going to talk about Game of the Decade now. Um, I will say that uh, I am currently working on a review of the... I, I mean, do we call it a remake? It's a remaster of Secret of Mana? I'd uh, say remaster. Okay. The re- yeah, it's, it's not touching any of the underpinnings as far as I can hit, tell. Yeah, the whatever you want to call it of mana. And, uh, yeah, it's... Um, you know what? I'm just going to wait till next episode to talk about it. Hey. And leave it hanging there. Wow, and, what a tease. But yes, if you have any questions about the remaster of um, Secret of Mana, uh, send them my way, because uh, the review definitely won't be up this week. I'm hoping... I'll have the game finished since it's not super long by next week. But yeah, if you have any questions about how different elements of it, and uh, yeah, let me know, and we can discuss that next time. Uh, anything? Tease. 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 Wow. Uh, anything else, guys? Last uh, thoughts? Requests for qu- questions? Anything? Requests for glory? Request for glory. <laughs> uh, May and Wheels still have to get back to the uh, to the ired up Breath of Fire fans. <laughs> ooh, ooh, yeah, that so, that whole thing. You mean the fans thing. are now fire breathing? I mean, definitely. Get the dragon form and we'll be dead. I mean, yes, yes. So hear about our impressions of Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter soon. I feel like that's probably not what we're doing. <laughs> Is there any other Breath of Fire? I mean, there's there's four of the other ones. Mm, yeah, but who cares about those? There's actually five other ones. I mean, got this. They got the. Oh yeah, the smartphone. social game. Yeah, the smart smartphone MMO that died. Oh you God, got... I for- keep forgetting that it was a thing. Breath of Fire Six. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's officially dead. Yeah, I believe that has died. Was that ever on Android? I don't think it ever even came out in anything resembling English. Uh, well, yeah. No. Well, now that I, I was going to say, now that I have an Android device, it's easy to hack all sorts of stuff on there. Let me check. Online operations for the title officially ceased on September twenty seventh, twenty seventeen. It was originally Windows and Android. Uh, weird. iOS came later. So was it? It was online only. I I think free to play online web based multiplayer role playing game. Sounds awful. I mean, probably it's probably got a lot of gotcha in it. Yeah. <laughs> you deserve these loot crates. <laughs> what loot crates? No loot crates. I murder monsters and make new weapons and armor out of their skin. That's my loot crate. You guys should just be happy that no one asked about Kingdom Hearts so I couldn't talk about the Kingdom Hearts 3 trainer. Oh my god. Uh, oh my god. Monsters, Inc. Oh man, how do you feel about Toy Nightmarish Story? Monsters, Inc. Goofy? Uh, I think it's hilarious and awesome. Yeah, I love his horrifying bugged out eyes. More bugged out than normal. 
Yes. Significantly so. Yes. I should find these. They're worth seeing. But that game's going to be out this year, right? Uh, that's what they say. That's what the trailer says. I, w- <laughs> I will believe it when there is a disc in my hands, and I am putting it into my PS4, and it is. And it turns out to be an I actual choose, Kingdom Hearts 3 disc. I choose, I choose to believe it by virtue of the fact that if they didn't think it would come out, they would have had a good. They would have had a good excuse to not put 2018 on this trailer, and would have had a good excuse to just have never announced 2018 because yeah. they sure didn't announce a year beforehand. Well, what's more important is Square Enix's other big release of 2018, and that's the English version of Romancing Saga 3. Yes. Also, Gaijin, please enjoy this in- this horrifying image. <laughs> Beautiful. I'll be, so Goofy's green. Goofy's green, his eye, he's got some heterochromia going on. But they didn't turn his buck teeth into fangs properly. Yeah, missed opportunity. Correct. He's still a cute monster. All I want to know is that I want a Ducktales world in this freaking game. Who do I have to pay to make that happen? They've generally kept the TV stuff out of it, so I would suspect you're not going to get it. Well, didn't didn't they have the gummy bears in the first game though? No, there's a gummy ship, but there's no gummy bears. Okay. Gummy bears bouncing, bouncing here and there, here and, there and everywhere. everywhere. Hi, and, and, and we have the intro music for this episode. Excellent. Oh, heaven. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's perfect. We'll we'll start with gummy bears and end with the new version of the Ducktales theme. Perfect. Done. Wow. My work here is done. Is it? <laughs> Does it have to be, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I think uh, I think we all just made his choice. So you can send in your questions, comments, complaints, rants, um, screenshots of you unsubscribing from this show, <laughs> and we will respond it, to it you. It won't be a very powerful <laughs> metaphor. I don't actually know how many people bother subscribing on iTunes or whatever, so... <laughs> I don't have the numbers. So yeah, like you could do that, but I don't think it would really mean much because we wouldn't really understand. <laughs> and you wouldn't stop us anyway because there's no stopping us. I feel like there's probably ways to stop us, but none that anyone's <laughs> actually going to, care, going to care enough to employ. Uh You can reach me at, uh, at AskWheels on Twitter. Uh, Dave is at FanboyMaster, but you... Uh, he has to follow you back, or however that works. I don't have to follow you back, but I just have to approve it, and I approve everyone, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and Mike has avoided the terrors of social media. Yes. He proves he is the smartest among us, once In- again. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will see you next time, where we will go into that aforementioned uh, Game of the dec- Decade discussion. Ask me about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> and or will- not. And we'll talk about how uh, Dark Souls is the Dark Souls of the 2010s. Anyway. Oh, what? <laughs> no. If you try to raise a discussion with an intro like that, I will actually walk out and protest. <laughs> uh, we will see you guys next time. Life is like a herd.